2: Hey, folks, today we're bringing you an episode of Wonder Media Network's new show, Winning Wisconsin. It is created and hosted by Majority 54 producer Grace Lynch, and it's a look into the state that decided the 2016 election and how it might be poised to do so again. We really think that you're going to like this show. You can subscribe to Winning Wisconsin wherever you listen to your podcasts. Talk to you all soon. In
0: 2016, we all watched as the Democrats' blue wall fell to Donald Trump.
3: And he has officially pierced the blue wall that she needed to hold on to.
4: And the wall comes tumbling down. This is the blue wall that uh, Hillary Clinton had talked about. She's cracked, the so-called blue wall that Hillary Clinton had tried to create. And we won Wisconsin. And we won Michigan. And we won Pennsylvania.
2: Right? We didn't break it. We shattered that sucker. We shattered We shattered
0: The blue wall centered around Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. These states have electorates that skew towards white working class Americans, the kind of people journalists love to call salt of the earth types. They'd long found solidarity in the pro-labor message of the Democratic Party. In fact, Michigan and Pennsylvania hadn't voted for a Republican since 1988. Wisconsin hadn't gone red since 1984, the year Reagan swept every state in the nation except Minnesota. In the postmortem that followed 2016, one state was singled out as having pushed Trump over the electoral finish line. Wisconsin.
2: Wisconsin
4: has been called for Donald Trump. That takes him north of the 270 that is required in terms of the Electoral College. What happened in Wisconsin? This was a state Hillary Clinton was supposed to win. It was supposed to go blue according to all the polls. This is a state that Hillary Clinton hasn't even visited since the Democratic Convention.
0: Wisconsin, Wisconsin Wisconsin. was barely in place. But I'm not interested in rehashing the 2016 election upset. We've all beat that dead horse. Over the last year, I've been following Wisconsin politics to determine if a state with just 10 electoral votes and 5.8 million people arbitrarily changed the course of history, or if Wisconsin's swing to the right signals a much more profound shift in America. What I found in America's Dairyland is all the overarching narratives in American politics. The rural-urban divide, racial inequality, income inequality, the loss of manufacturing, the degradation of organized labor, the rise of right-wing media. It's all heightened in Wisconsin. If you just look at the electorate, Wisconsin looks like a natural state for the modern Republican Party. It has a larger portion of non-college-educated white voters than many other swing states, and it has a smaller black population than its fellow blue wall states, Michigan and Pennsylvania. But it's a state built on strong progressive tradition. Wisconsin, once nicknamed the Laboratory of Democracy, created the first workplace compensation program, the first unemployment insurance program, and progressive income tax. Hell, even during the creation of FDR's New Deal, Social Security was drafted by Wisconsinites. Yet Wisconsin secured the presidency for Donald Trump with a margin of 22,748 votes. That's just 0.016% of all the ballots counted in 2016. So how current national issues play out in Wisconsin is important, wildly important. And now four years later, neither side of the aisle is taking any chances. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Grace Lynch, and this is Winning Wisconsin the story of one state fighting for its own political identity with national implications. This idea of a tipping point state, the state that gives a candidate their decisive electoral win, was first popularized by Nate Silver. Editor in chief of the data journalism site 538. 538 has long been on the cutting edge of electoral politics and election modeling. On Election Day in 2016, a record breaking 16.5 million unique viewers tuned into the 538 election forecast, which, though it predicted a Clinton victory, gave Trump roughly a one in three chance of winning, far more favorable odds than most predictions. Now, full disclosure, I used to work at 538. I produced their sports podcast, Hot Takedown, and collaborated on a few big political projects. I'm a fan of their work. In fact, the first time I met Nate Silver was at a 538 karaoke staff party where he was holding down the bass line in Aqua's crowd pleaser, Barbie Girl. But here's a more serious Nate describing the concept of a tipping point state in more detail.
1: So the tipping point state works by taking all the states by... The margin in the presidential race so for example if you go from like the most democratic state to the most republican one you'd start out with new york or washington state or illinois or something and you keep going through that list until the margin gets narrower and narrower um, and eventually flips republican and you say when do you cross the divide where now the republican has accumulated 270 electoral votes and that can vary from election to election but in 2016 the state where you cross that divide is Wisconsin, meaning that would be the decisive state in an election that's tied nationally Wisconsin would determine the winner.
0: One way to think about this is like a game of tug of war. Each end of the rope is anchored by the most reliably red or blue states. So on the Republican side of the rope, you want your staunchly conservative states like Nebraska and Wyoming as the anchor. They're the kids on the playground that had their growth spurt early. On the Democratic team, you're putting your liberal strongholds like California and Vermont in the anchoring spots. But kids like myself, who are small and wafy, were stuck in the front trying not to fall over the center line and give the win to the other team. We're the tipping point states. We could get pulled either way, and which way we fall ultimately decides which team wins. And just like the rule of small kids to the front, there are reasons why certain states become tipping points.
1: I think it became kind of like a, a meme that Wisconsin was symbolic of why Clinton lost. Wisconsin was always a little bit Democratic-leaning. It's more recent that it's kind of right at the tipping point, and that does reflect the fact that now Democrats are more reliant on a racially diverse coalition, which, um, which doesn't particularly help them in Wisconsin. It means they're losing ground among white voters, gaining ground among other voters. But yeah, it's become more and more important in Wisconsin. The media kind of actually sneered at Trump for trying to compete in Wisconsin. The notion is, oh, we knew all along, based on our sources on the ground, that Wisconsin was close. That was not the narrative. If you actually go back and look at 2016 and people made fun of Trump for trying to penetrate the blue wall.
0: IN PENNSYLVANIA. DONALD TRUMP'S BEEN THERE. HE'S HIT MICHIGAN, AND HIS CAMPAIGN IS REALLY TALKING UP MICHIGAN AS A PLACE WHERE THEY SEE SOME POTENTIAL. ON THE FLIP SIDE, WE HAVE SOURCES TELLING US, YEAH, THIS IS KIND OF TO PUSH THE MEDIA NARRATIVE. WHY IS TRUMP EVEN SPENDING TIME IN THESE PLACES WHEN WITH SEVEN DAYS TO GO, TIME IS THE MOST PRECIOUS RESOURCE HE HAS? IF YOU WERE ADVISING HIM, WOULDN'T YOU SAY GET THE TO FLORIDA?
4: I WOULD. I WOULD SAY GET TO THE PLACES WHERE YOU HAVE A SHOT TO REALLY uh, uh, MAKE A DIFFERENCE and, AND WIN THE ELECTION.
0: And while Wisconsin may have been recently thrust into the national electoral spotlight, it's had a long history of close elections. Here's Ben Wickler, the chair of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin. Ben's exactly what you'd imagine a young high school principal would look like. If you've ever seen the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, I suspect he'd make a great vice principal punch. But that's just a hunch.
4: In 2016, everyone remembered that Wisconsin had gone blue in presidential races over and over and over and over. And somehow, no one remembered that it was the closest state in the country in 2004 and second closest in 2000, and that, in other words, in half of the previous four presidential races, we'd had under one percentage point margins. So in 2016, the polling said that Clinton was way up. People took Wisconsin for granted. And in 2020, no one is making that mistake.
0: So this concept of a blue wall was likely always a fallacy. A media creation that suggested a predetermined quality that wasn't actually reflected in the Rust Belt states they referred to. Here's Nate again.
1: We kind of made fun of the blue wall concept, right? Because a state's part of the blue wall until it isn't, right? And there's nothing about the concept of a blue wall that makes a state obviously impervious to to change. I guess it was a surprise that, like, because usually of that Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan group, Wisconsin and Michigan had been more solidly democratic. Than Pennsylvania, which was kind of often, you know, very near the tipping point itself. So, I guess it's a little bit of a surprise that Wisconsin and Michigan moved more, but there are a couple things going on here, right? One is that they are more working class. Wisconsin, in particular, has a smaller African-American population than Pennsylvania does, for example. You know, number two, Wisconsin and Michigan tend to be pretty big change states and not status quo states. They tend to not like incumbents very much. They tend to not be always super satisfied with how things are going in the country where Pennsylvania is a bit more pro-establishment. So sometimes being the change candidate is good in a state like Wisconsin, which, by the way, may actually not wind up helping Trump this year.
0: But even with these shifts, the Democratic coalition relying more on voters of color and the anti-establishment leanings of Wisconsinites, the results of 2016 were just plain weird. Both parties grossly underperformed. African-American turnout in Milwaukee dropped by 19 points compared to 2012 levels. Trump won by the largest margins in counties where under 1,000 people turned out to vote and still received fewer votes overall than when Romney lost the state in 2012. The total votes for the Green Party exceeded the number of votes that separated Trump from Clinton. When it comes down to margins this small, missteps matter. Maybe a better question is why haven't the Democrats excited
3: voters to defeat the Republicans.
0: That's Dan Kaufman, author of The Fall of Wisconsin. He literally wrote the book on how former Republican Governor Scott Walker led a conservative transformation within the state. We'll hear more from him in later episodes.
3: There are a lot of structural impediments being put in place. Voter ID law, one of the strictest in the country that wasn't used until 2016 because of court challenges. There's other factors. The gerrymandering has withered local Democratic organizations, but at the same time, The Democrats have drifted away from, very far away from their core
0: economic arguments of the New Deal era and after that. Trump capitalized on this vacuum the Democrats left in Wisconsin. But not all Wisconsin Republicans were sold on Trump.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Donald Trump is a serial liar, a con man who mocks the disabled and women. He's a narcissist and a bully, a man with no fixed principles, uh, who has the vocabulary of an emotionally insecure nine-year-old. So, no, I don't want to give him uh, control of the IRS, the FBI, and the nuclear codes. That's just me.
3: Tell us how you really feel.
0: That's Charlie Sykes, a former conservative talk radio host and founder and editor-at-large at The Bulwark. Charlie was on the radio for 23 years in Wisconsin, and while an unapologetic conservative he wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with some of the more fringe members of the right.
2: And joining me live, like right across the table from me, is Ann Coulter. Hello, Charlie Sykes. I, I actually f- favored uh, cracking down on, on immigrants, so suddenly you had your racist meme from your book become a racist it meme in racist? the president. Well, You're you know, calling they, me
0: a racist? Oh, I think I've called you a racist many, many times. Well, you, I don't think I was sitting there. Charlie book? is one of those rare never-Trumpers. During the run up to the 2016 election, Charlie was a very vocal opponent of Trump's campaign, which led to this incredible exchange on his show right before the 2016 Wisconsin primary.
2: Do you want, do you want some free advice, she though? Was, she was on yeah, the I know. Do you want some free advice, seriously, since you're now here in Wisconsin? Honestly, if you stand up there and you say, folks, let me just say this. You know, I'm running for president. Ted Cruz is running for president. Let's leave our wives out of it. People in Wisconsin will love that, Mr. Trump. I don't mind that at all. I think it's great. I think <laughs> that's fine. Who wouldn't agree to that? I think it's great. Well, Again, I didn't start it. He started it. If he didn't start it, it would have never happened. Boy. Nothing like this would have ever happened. But he started it. So, yeah. but, but just I remember, remember, okay, we're, n- we're not on a playground. We're running for president of the United so States. I agree with that 100%. Right.
0: I caught up with Charlie a few months back. And on impact, you can imagine Reductress or the Onion using Charlie's headshot for a snarky headline about mansplaining tax rates or the man in your life obsessing over his golf game. In fact, I'd be shocked if Charlie wasn't a superb golfer. But like many Wisconsinites, I found Charlie to be incredibly generous and direct.
2: One of the things that that Trump got right was he knew how to appeal to the the disenfranchised white rural voters. He picked up just a massive number of votes there. You can check my math on this, but for, for the first two years, I was explaining Wisconsin by explaining the Democratic undervote in Milwaukee County that uh, Hillary Clinton got 40,000 fewer votes than Barack Obama. So that's the difference. That's That was my story. And then someone said, well, yes, but what about the 250,000 rural votes that shifted from the Democrats to the Republicans. Isn't that a bigger story? And it's like, yeah, that is. So he understood how to appeal to the uh, white rural working class.
0: Charlie gave me an example of one of those interactions with rural Wisconsinites he'd heard from a state congressman.
2: He said he realized that Trump was going to win Wisconsin when he went to a meeting up in like Stevens Point, the Wausau, Stevens Point area. It was a rural area. It was a group of farmers. And the Democratic state senator in the area was giving a talk, arguing about how, you know, Democrats were gonna provide free college education to everybody. And he said, he's looking around the room and all the farmers were looking at each other going, what, we don't want, no. Um, We don't wanna pay for other kids to go and study, you know, flower arranging, this is in their mind, you know, in someplace else, and they hated it. And he said, he realized right then the Democrats just had st- lost the narrative. They were not able to talk. They were able to talk to the educated elites. They were able to talk to, but they actually not really talk to the, you know, uh, African-American voters who were not moved. But um, I think Trump was able to exploit a lot of that, that stuff. I think he got that right, but I think the Democrats got a lot wrong as well.
0: These are the kinds of stories we've heard repeatedly since 2016. Voters once thought of as Union Democrats, which in the case of Wisconsin is largely made up of white voters without college degrees, fleeing the Democratic Party for Trump's Make America Great Again message. But a lot has happened since 2016, including the 2018 midterms, which shook things up in Wisconsin once again.
4: Welcome back today and Meet the Midterms. Republicans are sounding the alarm after losing a state Supreme Court seat last night in Wisconsin. Republican Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker even warned himself in a series of tweets that the results, quote, show we are at risk of a blue wave in Wisconsin, unquote.
0: In the 2018 midterms, Wisconsin re-elected Tammy Baldwin, a progressive queer woman to the Senate, and famed Republican Governor Scott Walker was narrowly defeated. The margin Senator Baldwin won by roughly 11 points, dwarfed the one-point margin of victory for the new Democratic governor, Tony Evers. So that means that there were a lot of people voting for both Tammy Baldwin and Scott Walker. Here's Ben Wickler again.
4: In 2018, there was a blue wave that swept across the country. In Michigan and Pennsylvania, Democratic statewide candidates won by big margins. In Wisconsin, Democrats won every statewide office for the first time since 1982. It was a great victory. But if you look at the margin, we won by like 1.1 percentage points. It was still a nail-biter, even in the blue wave of 2018. Roughly 1 in 10 Wisconsin voters cast their ballot for Tammy Baldwin and Scott Walker at the same time. And this is the wild puzzle of Wisconsin politics. There are actual swing voters here. There are ticket splitters here. There are Obama, Obama, Trump, Baldwin, Walker voters. (laughs) There are probably Obama, Walker, Obama, Walker Trump, Baldwin, Walker voters, people who have zigzagged and zigzagged. And when elections come down to the kinds of tiny margins that you often see in this state, even the slightest breeze can tip an election one way or the other.
0: So not only do we have swing voters in the state, we have split ticket voters. And clearly every vote counts. Charlie Sykes is particularly interested in what will play out amongst a group of voters he identifies with.
2: This is a small segment of the electorate that we're talking with. I mean, never Trumpers. We're not a big group, you know? I mean, we're big in the MSNBC green rooms, but there's not a lot of us, but can be crucial. I mean, if you're talking about five, 7% of the electorate, that in a state like Wisconsin, that could be decisive.
0: Nate Silver pointed out that Biden has the opportunity to make gains with another key group in Wisconsin, Obama-Trump voters.
1: So in some ways, it might be reversion to the mean. And keep in mind that sometimes you can call it like last in, first out, right? If you're new to join a party coalition, it might not take you that much to pull you back toward how you were voting before, right? So there were a lot of Obama-Trump voters in Wisconsin. If those Obama-Trump voters say, actually, eh, the president's performance I'm not necessarily so happy with. I was you know, enough of a Democrat to vote for Obama. Maybe I'll go back and vote for Obama's vice president now joe biden so if biden claws back some obama trump voters you'd expect him to gang around in states like wisconsin and michigan iowa ohio etc and those are states where he's polled relatively well where he's made relatively big gains relative to how clinton did in 2016. of course these are polls there's a chance that the polls could be off again in the same direction but it's at least a plausible story that biden is winning back some obama trump voters
0: Nate's right that Biden is finding leads in states like Wisconsin, and at the same time, he's struggling to convince other Obama-Trump voters in states like Florida, where an ever-diversifying population would appear to be helpful for the Democrats. So why the swing in Wisconsin specifically? As we mentioned earlier, Wisconsin wasn't natural Trump country. He decisively lost the primary to Ted Cruz by 13 points and then underperformed Mitt Romney's losing outcomes. Here's Charlie again.
1: I think
2: that the Baldwin election might have been an indication of which way things were going, because that that felt like a, it was about Trump. The Republican candidate ran very, very Trumpy. And then you had a Supreme Court election earlier this year, the famous election that took place during the pandemic. And what was really striking to me was the the turnout and the uh, the mail-in effort by the Democrats. This is something to keep in mind. It used to be that conservatives and Republicans owned those elections. I mean, we always used to win those elections. And so for the Democrats to pull out, and they won, they not only won, they won big, um, which tells me the Democrats have gotten their act together in terms of enthusiasm and in terms of using early voting in a way that they didn't before. So I... I, I think that, that that's what makes Wisconsin so significant, because all of these national things, I think, come to play here.
0: What it boils down to is Wisconsin is hyper-competitive. It's like a pre-shaken can of pop of American political divisiveness. Laura Dresser is the associate director and a labor economist with COWS, a think tank associated with the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We'll hear from her a lot more going forward. She studies the evolutions in the labor market and inequality within the state. Here's what she had to say about how Wisconsin has been changing over the last several years.
3: But everything that's true about economic restructuring, I think, is a little clear and a little amplified here. Or There's a few things that are just really important to the way we think about what is the working class, what is racial disparity, what, is, what, are, what do unions do? And Wisconsin has had really profound changes in each one of those things, right, in a way that is instructive of or representative of this national context.
0: Nate agreed that Wisconsin reflects many of the tensions that are currently at play in our political landscape.
1: Wisconsin, it's more like you kind of have these offsetting groups or traditions, right, that wind up producing a competitive state, right, because you do have this kind of progressive tradition, if you will, in Wisconsin, competing against a kind of more kind of Trumpian kind of rural American kind of, you know, more Republican leaning tradition now, you know, you have a lot of college students in uh, University of Wisconsin, obviously, in Dane County, on the other hand, the suburbs of Milwaukee are unusually conservative historically. So no, Wisconsin's more like a series of like minorly quirky and weird trends that kind of wind up producing a very competitive election.
0: To those inside the state, it's not immediately obvious what version of Wisconsin they're going to end up being, or at least which side will be more persuasive in this election.
2: This was always going to be a tough state for the Democrats to win back. But I also think it's representative of of the shift that you've had nationally, that you have... uh, areas that used to vote for uh, Democrats that switched to Trump in 2016. So in Northern Wisconsin, we have a number of those Obama, Obama, Trump counties. The dilemma of Wisconsin is, which, which Wisconsin are we? I mean, are we the Wisconsin that elects Ron Johnson to the Senate or the Wisconsin that elects Tammy Baldwin to the Senate? We're kind of both of that. We're capable of going in all directions and all of our elections tend to be very, very close.
0: And while Wisconsin is still trying to figure out who it is, the current election hangs in the balance.
4: If you look at all the states where Biden has a very, very strong shot right now, you get up to 269 votes in the Electoral College. You need to add one more state to get to 270. And the state with the biggest opportunity for Biden is Wisconsin. If you look at Trump's map, he's got to get to 270. His his own campaign actually said in a briefing last year, Either we win Wisconsin and we win the election, or we lose Wisconsin and we lose the election. It is the state balanced on the knife's edge that could tip either way and bring the entire White House with it.
0: Trump's map to the White House runs through Wisconsin, and to Ben's point, it's not a guarantee that he'll repeat success in the state. Here's Nate again on what the polls are showing us.
1: The election's still pretty uncertain. Wisconsin's one of those states that actually looks a little better for Biden than some others, where like florida pennsylvania have polled more closely lately we're still in a pretty uncertain environment it wouldn't take that much for trump to win the electoral college again i guess is what i'd say the popular vote would be a a bigger ask
0: on election night say wisconsin's the first state that reports in in this this fantasy scenario i'm striking if wisconsin's the first state that reports in and trump has won wisconsin again are you then significantly more likely to believe that he will end up winning the election overall
1: If Trump wins Wisconsin again, Trump wins Wisconsin again, then I would imagine he's a reasonably clear favorite to win the election, for sure.
0: Would you feel the same way if it was announced right away that Biden won Wisconsin?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's still like, I mean, because these states tend to move together, right? So if Biden has won Wisconsin, that probably means Biden's also won Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. And at that point, you're kind of well on your way to winning the Electoral College.
0: Over the next few episodes, I'm going to explore what makes Wisconsin, Wisconsin, what led to Wisconsin's 2016 transformation, and what does this transformation mean for the country this November. Next week on Winning Wisconsin, we start with the Scott Walker years, his dismantling of the unions from the governor's mansion, and the transformation of the Wisconsin Republican Party.
2: The one thing to understand about Wisconsin that I've told people is that going back to 2010, we always felt we were sort of a ground zero of American politics. That whole Act 10 experience kind of hardened everything into place. This is a state where the politics has been very intense for very long now. I mean, it's been the last decade. Uh, We we were intense before Donald Trump came along. And those Walker years were, they were, they were, they were something.
3: For many people, it represented a kind of turning point of a breaking of that kind of, of the Wisconsin of the past where nothing like that would be attempted to just ram something through. And it became the norm. I mean, I was at the legislature many times where stuff was just rammed through
0: in the middle of the night like, like a banana republic, really. Later this season on Winning Wisconsin...
1: Just, I'm going to
3: come out and say, it, I guess, like the most um, bigoted president that I've, I've ever seen, and, and some presidents own slaves.
4: What we're going to be left with as a legacy from this COVID is massive, drastic recession, and not just in the U.S., but worldwide. And that's going to take a long time to dig out from, and that's going to have an impact on all kinds of channels, including food and dairy. Does any politician ever keep any of their commitments?
3: (laughs) It really can all come down to black voters in the city of Milwaukee. Act 10 had delivered Wisconsin for Donald Trump.
2: I still struggle with how did we go from being the Paul Ryan Republican Party to the Donald Trump Republican Party? You know, what happened to people?
0: Winning Wisconsin is a Wonder Media Network production. It's created by myself, Grace Lynch, and produced by myself and Maddie Foley. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. To stay up to date on all of Wonder Media Network's election coverage, you can find Wonder Media on Twitter at WMN Media. And I'm at GraceLynch08 on Twitter as well. Talk to you next week.
3: Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders, Zachary Carabell and Executive Director, Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.